Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. This week, I'm bringing back my guest from last episode, Troy Love, licensed clinical social worker and author of the book Finding Peace and his brand new book, A Year of Self-Love, which are both available now on Amazon. And if you haven't listened to my previous episode with Troy, we talk about and lay the foundation for all the different kinds of wounds that you can receive when you're growing up and trying to navigate personal relationships and when you're in a really vulnerable state with your parents or with friends, and even as you get older into romantic relationships. And so Troy does a great job in that last podcast talking about the different types of wounds and how these things affect us as we get older. And in today's episode, we're going to take this discussion a lot further and talk about what to do with those wounds. Because yes, we all get hurt, we all get bruised, we all get really injured in some cases to where you wonder how in the world do you heal from something like that? It's so important, as the old saying goes, if pain isn't transformed, it gets transmitted. You don't want to take this pain into future relationships or have it hijack your most important relationships. So in this episode, Troy and I have a great interview about how to deal with that pain and how to actually heal it and not stay stuck in a victim mindset. And so here's my interview with Troy Love. Well, welcome back to the Illuminate Podcast, Troy. It's so good to have you back on this episode. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. So the last episode, if you haven't listened to it, it will probably be a good idea to just pause this one and go back to the previous one where Troy and I talk about what are attachment wounds and we go through and identify six specific types of attachment wounds that people experience and different types of loss and grief and things that just really keep people pretty wounded. And Troy does a great job going through and explaining the different nuances of these and gives examples. And so if you haven't listened to that, please go back because what we're going to talk about in this episode is what to do with them and where to go from here. Because again, the tendency for a lot of people is, is once they identify it, it's, it's kind of tempting just to develop this sort of passivity or maybe a victim mindset and just feel like, well, everybody should just care about my pain and and hurt with me, which can sometimes lead to people just being frozen or not going anywhere with their work and their healing. And then they end up hurting other people. And we want people to not only name and identify the wounds and have compassion for those but to actually move forward and do something about that so that they can not only heal, but then they can be a healing person for everyone they encounter, especially the people that they're closest to. And the good news is, is that you can heal and you can do that work. It's just probably not always obvious what to do. So Troy, we're going to dive in and figure out maybe how to organize this a little bit for our listeners. That sound good? Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. Okay. Is that a good introduction? Good summary? Yeah, you did a great job. (laughs) Okay. So I want to make sure I didn't leave anything out. (laughs) No. All right. So let's dive in. And I think one of the things that, you know, we've talked about is that with these types of wounds, they fuel a whole belief system, right? right? That's kind of where this starts. It's like the wound happens and then the beliefs start happening right after that. Is that the sequence that you've seen? Yes, exactly. And if you think a lot, if you think about it, a lot of these wounds happened when we were children. We did not have the cognitive ability to be able to make sense out of why these kind of things were happening. 
And so we are asking ourselves, why is this happening? And children are very egocentric in their view of the world. It kind of revolves around them. And so the only explanation that seems to make any sense to them is that there must be something wrong with me. It must be me. It's not and go to AA or something. A child doesn't have the capacity to be able to do that. And so when these wounds are created, almost simultaneously, some core beliefs are created at the same time. I use the analogy that they're tattooed on your heart and they're tattooed with fluorescent ink. So have you ever taken your kid to like Chuck E. Cheese or something and they make you stamp your hand with that stamp that you can't see until they shine the blue light or the black light on it and then all of a sudden you can see it? That's kind of how these these messages got tattooed on your heart. They're tattooed with that fluorescent ink. So they're not out all the time. But when somebody bumps up against those wounds, that's when the black light comes on and that's when you can see those. So there's three genres of negative core belief. The first one is the I am or the identity genre, which is there's something wrong with me. I must, I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm not pretty enough. I'm, I'm flawed. I'm defective. There's something wrong with me genre. And then the second genre is safety or trust genre, which is I can't trust other people. Other people aren't going to be there for me. The world is not safe. My world is not safe. I can't depend on others. I have to do this all by myself. And then the third genre is a sense of powerlessness or from a positive perspective, it's a sense of power, but usually these are negative. I'm powerless. I can't live without my drug of choice. I can't I can't overcome this. It's never going to get any better. I'm always going to be like this. So it almost becomes this trifecta of if I feel like there's something wrong with me and I can't lean on other people to get my needs met, I have to do it all by myself, but I'm powerless. Well, now I'm doomed. It's like this trifecta of doom. Like, there's what am I going to do? I'm just going to be stuck here. And so identifying what these core beliefs are, writing them down on a piece of paper so we can start to evaluate whether they're true or accurate, I think is part of the healing process. Yeah, that's so powerful. I love how you divided that up. I've actually never heard anybody organize them that way, but you're right. The second that we get wounded, we try and make sense of it. It's almost like when we fall down, we're kind of wondering like, what happened? How did this Mm -hmm. happen? And you're right. Like, I mean, I remember my wife and I were building our house years ago and our, our son, who's now 20, but when he was probably three years old, four years old, we were both very checked out and overwhelmed and stressed and were not very good parents during that time. And all of a sudden he became so helpful. He was just the biggest little helper and just would, you know, and I think at one point we realized, wait a second, he's trying to earn our love. He thinks that he's been a bad kid. (laughs) Mm. Oh my goodness. And so I remember my wife kneeling down and looking at him and saying, you miss mom and dad and you want to spend more time with us and we're not paying very good attention. And he got it. He got it as a little tiny kid. He understood that he was feeling pretty lonely, was trying to earn our love by being helpful. And that's what kids do. They're just, right. they're going to make meaning out of it. They're going to figure out how to heal this pain. And they're going to be the ones that kick into action to try and either organize it with their thoughts or their behavior. And boy, if nobody jumps in, thankfully, at least with that wound, I can't speak for probably others we gave our kids, but at least for <laughs> that wound, we intercepted that one, thankfully, and Uh helped him organize that and make sense of it. Because if we don't do it, they will come up with an answer, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's probably not accurate. No. And that's the thing with these negative core beliefs. They're not accurate. No, I had nothing Um, to do. Yeah. There may be some truth to it, but really they're not accurate. And But it becomes the paradigm in which I view the world. So every time my wound gets smacked, that's 
the paradigm that I view the world, and that can be very debilitating. Well, it becomes evidence that their belief is correct. Mm-hmm. It actually confirms it, right? Right. They, yeah, they can change. Oh, look, here's another reason. Here's, see, look, I really am unworthy. Oh, yep, yeah, see, look. And it just builds this mountain of false evidence that reinforces the negative core belief. Yeah, so doing that wound work around the core beliefs is really about challenging the faultiness of those, right? Yeah. I mean, how do you... Yeah. What's Go ahead. Yeah, questioning it. What's the accuracy? What evidence are you using to support this mm. belief? How is this belief serving you? And oftentimes when I ask that question, they're like, well, it's not serving me. And I'm like, yeah, well, let's take a look at that because you've been, you've been, it's been serving you or else you would have dropped this core belief a long time ago. So yeah. in what way does it serve you? And then they start to think a little bit, oh, well, it keeps me small. I don't have to be vulnerable. I don't have to put myself out there. I don't have to try anymore. Yeah, because vulnerability is part of the healing process. So this core belief is protecting you from having to be vulnerable, but then you're suffering. Yeah. Yeah. So asking questions about those core beliefs and holding those up. And I, in my experience, we don't have sometimes the personal visibility to be able to do that just alone in isolation, mm-hmm. right? Because we're so kind of intimate with these beliefs. They're just such a part of who we are, how we see the world. And they were often formed unconsciously or is it subconsciously? Subconsciously, I think. Is it subconsciously? Yeah. Okay. I might leave this in there. <laughs> that's what <laughs> therapists do, right? We just split hairs right? on words, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. But these beliefs were formed subconsciously and there was never anybody to challenge them. And so, so right. having an outsider actually challenge them and look at them and ask questions about them can be so healing. Absolutely. Yeah. And even the process of putting it on a piece of paper helps be a little bit more objective about this. Like, oh, I'm reading it. No, maybe it's not true. Maybe I can question. Mm. Maybe I can ask questions. Yeah. So even like with your workbook, you know, guiding people through the exercises when they can write it down and externalize it a little bit, it gives them some more visibility on it. Yeah. Where they wouldn't have it if it was just in their head. Exactly. And then it helps you've wrote it down. You can share it with somebody else. What do you think? What's your perspective? I love that. Yeah. And these beliefs, like you said, they're formed in relationship and they heal better in relationship. So mm-hmm. just to get them out, to start processing them with other people and have right. other people, you know, basically prove them wrong. Yeah. Right. By the way they respond yeah. to you, by the way they answer them. Um, exactly. Yeah. I love that. So the sequence then, if we're going to kind of map this out, the sequence goes from the wound that happens, which is not the person's fault, right. but then they take on a belief system that keeps them trapped and confirming these beliefs throughout just, you know, life. Oh, that person rejected me. Oh, everybody rejects me. Oh, all women suck. All men suck. Whatever. You're just, right. You're just believing Mm -hmm. these things all over the place, generalizing everywhere. Right. And then you're saying that these core beliefs go into creating an identity, right? Like a shame-based identity. Right. It can, right? Is that kind of the sequence? Part of it, yeah. So this all happens almost in a nanosecond. So the wound gets bumped, the negative core belief gets activated, and then a core emotion is going to show up. Whether, and you know, different therapists argue about how many core emotions there are, but I focus on three core emotions in this part of the model. So anger, fear, and sadness. Okay. So if my rejection wound gets stirred up and then I feel like I'm no good, then I might be sad or I might be angry or I might be afraid or all three of those emotions. So those three emotions show up, but we live in a world, we live in a culture where we're not really allowed to be able to express our emotions. We're not able to talk about it. We're not able to process it. 
We're supposed to keep it hidden. We don't talk about those emotions. And so then if we don't have a forum, if we don't have a place to be able to be heard and validated and let our emotions out in a healthy way, then shame is going to show up and it's going to put a blanket over all of this and just shut it down. Mm-hmm. Brene Brown calls the shame the master emotion. So, you know, I no longer feel anger. I feel shame. I no longer feel sad. I feel shame. And I can't express fear when I'm ashamed. Yeah. So then what happens after this? And let's keep going. Let's go. Let's yeah, keep advancing sure. this forward. Then what happens? So if I'm feeling shame, all of this feels really uncomfortable. I, it's very painful. So then I'm going to engage in numbing behaviors. I got to find a way to numb all this because it hurts so bad. And there's thousands of ways of numbing. And all of us have maybe a favorite couple that we use to numb. But then when we numb, it doesn't bring us closer to joy and peace and love and all of that. It makes us feel more shame. And so then we end up feeling what I call mutated emotions. And mutated emotions aren't necessarily bad. They've just like sadness mutates into depression. Fear mutates into anxiety. Anger mutates into bitterness, resentment, apathy. So it, it becomes this feeling that usually what brings somebody to our offices where they're depressed, they're anxious, they're bitter, they're resentful, they don't want to feel this way anymore. And so they come for help. And so, the, and a lot of times they're engaging in this numbing, feeling more mutated emotions, numbing for more mutated emotions. So let's, let's stop the numbing and let's actually get to the core of what this is all about. Let me give you some tools to stop the numbing, help you be able to start living some sobriety, and then let's unpack the shame and, and go to the healing of the wounds. Yes, this process of getting down to that, those core wounds, you have to walk past the acting out behaviors, you have to walk past the beliefs, the, all these different things to really you know, track this down. It's quite an ex- exploration process. Yeah, it can take a while. Right, because right, they're so guarded, right? Like mm-hmm. these wounds, because you know, heaven forbid they get wounded again. So, right. you're so people are just so well defended. Right, yeah. John Bradshaw says, I'm guarded. I'm guarded so that I don't have to be unguarded or something like that. I, I'm guarded so I won't get hurt again. So I keep my walls up pretty high. Right. Yeah. And that, like you said, that can become an identity that can become the way that you just show up in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to live with yourself and live with people who are that guarded. It's, there's no intimacy, there's no connection, and there's just a ton of numbing out that goes on. Right. And it's a pretty miserable existence, which is why, you know, I know you're so passionate about doing this work and offering these resources. It's a huge part of, you know, why I'm doing the work I'm doing as well, which is I mean, we are really at the front lines of trying to end some serious human suffering. Right. We're trying to not let it be passed on to the next generation. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens when people don't do this work, is that they unintentionally wound the next generation who then have to carry the sins of the fathers, if you will. And it's it's just a big line of people being victimized. It's super sad. Yeah. And in your work, in your work with people that are doing this attachment wound work or just the, the wounding work, because some of it's attachment, some of it's just loss and other right. things like that. But in your experience in working with people, can you tell us a little bit of what you've seen in terms of the hope, the changes, where you see people going with this? I'd love to hear some, you know, some examples of, of what that movement looks like. Yeah. So when I'm watching people and I'm helping them identify, hey, I've been numbing and this numbing behavior isn't really serving me. And I began to get some tools so I don't have to numb anymore or I don't have to numb as often. And then we can start to confront the shame. And that's a whole like, process in and of itself. But we can start to confront the shame, the deep and abiding belief or experience that I'm flawed and defective and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Like Brene Brown's 
definition of shame and we can start to help develop some shame resilience so that they're not overwhelmed by shame. And then we give them a place to be able to actually express their anger, a place to be able to actually express their sadness, a place for them to express their fear. And in that process, the emotions shift from fear turns to a sense of faith. And it can be spiritual, but it doesn't have to be a, a sense of faith. Like it's going to be okay. Even if I don't have any evidence that supports that right now, I can have faith that this is going to be okay. And sadness turns to hope. Like I can hope that things are going to be better, that I can have happiness. And anger turns to love and compassion. I become a much more compassionate person. As I'm doing that, I'm also beginning to rewrite my core beliefs. And I realize that I am enough, just the way that I am. I am enough and that there are people that I can reach out to and I can connect with. And there are things that I can do about my situation. And when I start to do that, when my wound gets stirred up, it's not as painful. And I recognize, oh, there it is, but I'm enough. And so I can have boundaries. I'm enough so I can go ask to get my need met. I'm enough. I have people I can reach out to. I can get love and belonging and I can find hope and healing. So that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's so hopeful. And I hope my listeners, as you hear that, you can see the sequence and what's possible by doing this work. Because again, the goal is not just to focus on wounds for the sake of focusing on wounds and developing mm-hmm. an identity. It's about, it's about a starting point. It's about being able to say, okay, we figured out you know, where the hurt is and mm-hmm. let's help you design a very different way of seeing the world. And then being, what I love about this is being really honest with yourself and with others about why you're reacting the way you're reacting and that sensitivity. It's like having a vulnerability to, you know, some illness or something else that you have to just be careful. Oh, I ate too much sugar and I'm acting this way now or, or, (laughs) you know, whatever, you know, I have gluten intolerance or whatever. Like there's just, there's just something you have to take ownership of and understand because you're going to get bumped, right? You're just, you live with people, imperfect people and things are going to come up. And so what better way to take charge of your life than to be able to understand exactly what you're feeling and experiencing. To me, it's very empowering Mm -hmm. if you use it in the right way, if you use it as a way to say, you know what, I'm going to continue to seek healing and connection with these people, but I'm I'm also going to protect myself and be clear about that and letting other people know so they can be supportive. In my experience, when it's done right, it opens up a deeper level of intimacy in relationships. Right. And in fact, the wounds themselves give you a key to what you need. So for example, if you have a loss wound, the need that's associated with that is comfort, reassurance that everything's going to be okay. If it's a rejection wound, the need that's associated with that is acceptance. If it's an abandonment wound, the need that's associated with that is presence. If it's a neglect wound, the need that's associated with that is someone just to pay attention to you. And so when you can identify, oh, that's my wound, it also helps me know what I need. So now how do I go get that? need met in a healthy way so I can soothe that pain in a a way that is comforting and not shameful in the end. Yeah. So anything else you want to say about this, this process, as far as once you've, I know there's obviously so much to say about it and we could talk for hours. I mean, people are obviously working on this stuff for multiple sessions, processing Mm -hmm. these things in groups, and there's just so much work. But, you know, as far as just maybe an overview of how somebody gets started with this or what they can do if they recognize or wonder if they have attachment wounds, where, where do they start? So I, I guess the first thing I want to be able to say is that I believe that healing is possible and that's hope. There's hope for that. And it's part of the reason why I wrote the workbook, 
you can uh, get the workbook on Amazon and and you can just the first chapter explain explores the wounds and it becomes like a roadmap that you can take to your therapist. Some people have started their own groups where they do that with some friends, but the workbook is a way to be able to lay out a map that helps them in the healing process. So I direct them to, you can go to Amazon or you can go to troyllove.com and you can get some resources that are there as well. Yeah. So if you're wondering, you know, where are my attachment wounds or I'm working with a therapist and we're only talking about behavioral stuff or I'm I'm dealing with trauma and I know there's more healing I need to do with this and I, I just am not healing like I want to, or, you know, my husband or my wife is doing really well, but I'm not, then mm-hmm. that's probably a good sign that there's more attachment wounding or some kind of wounding going on underneath there. And that's why you're not feeling any peace, right? Right. And I found this to be really helpful even in couples work when we both can recognize what our wounds are and we can have compassion for each other's wounds. We can then come together in a loving, supportive way, not an antagonistic, battering kind of way. Yeah. It's kind of like Sue Johnson says, you know, they they unite together against the wounds instead of just fighting each other. Because again, the wounds, the wounds are not your fault. (laughs) No, they're not. Even though you might have to take some accountability for how you've reacted to the wounds and hurt other people and hurt yourself, that obviously needs to happen. But Everybody that's working through a recovery process at some point comes to the realization that they were wounded and they right. can't hide behind that and use it as an excuse to avoid accountability, but the work has to be done. Exactly. And, uh, and I, I love this resource. I think it's a great resource. I've sent clients to it and I, I hope my listeners, I hope you'll go check it out on Amazon or or his, his website. Do you have other resources on your TroyLLove.com website? Yeah, uh, there's a free... The Art of Peace book that's available that listeners can get for free. And then there's uh, podcasts, there's YouTube videos and other things that they can check out as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So I hope that you'll follow Troy. You're on social media as well. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Okay. Awesome. Yep. And just, you know, a little therapist jealousy. I think all therapists would love to have the last name love. So I want to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I've always wondered if that was a, your real name or just your ster- therapist stage no, that, name. That's really my real name. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. So when the first time I met you, Troy, I thought like, is this guy's last name really love? That's like too perfect. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody asks me that. So Anyway, so thank you so much for taking time to out of your schedule to come and talk with us about these things and sharing this resource, your your workbook with uh, with the world. I think that you know you've offered people a gift. You've offered them a way to organize and make sense of things that again are so invisible, like you said, with that that invisible ink, so that they can start to see and understand exactly what's happening to them. And knowledge is power. It's very exciting. So, any parting well, words before we go? I guess. Um... One thing is I am having a new book that's coming out in November. Oh, yeah. Which is it's called The Year of Self-Love. And it's uh, 365 entries to remind yourself to do some self-care and self-compassion. So I'm excited to have that come out in November. Oh, that's wonderful. So if can people sign up for uh, like a newsletter or, or information on your website to get more yep. about that? Uh-huh. Yeah, if they go to troyolove.com and they enter their email address, they'll get more information about that. Awesome. Now that's a great resource and that's good like aftercare, right? Yeah. That's good wound wound aftercare for long-term, a year's worth of uh, self-compassion and support. I love that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. So 
Yeah. So go ahead and uh, I'll put links to the to these resources, the websites and the, the social media links as well in the show notes so that you can access all of this and, and great, get these great re- resources. I love that there's so much, you know, healing and stuff available out there. And honestly, you know, there's a lot of these things weren't available or very accessible 20, 30 years ago. So a lot of the times you maybe were raised with people, you know, parents, grandparents who were wounded and didn't know what to do with it. And you can be a chain breaker in that generational wounding. And that to me is just a tremendous responsibility. It's sacred work, it's healing work. And, you know, the, the term I think is a transitional family figure where you're the, you're the one that mm. transitions into a new generation where you stop the hurting, you stop the bleeding, and you allow your children and children's children to experience something brand new. So there's no excuse to not do this work. You, you absolutely have the ability and the tools and resources to undo all that pain for yourself and for those that follow you. So thank you, Troy, for the work you're doing. And thank you for sharing all these great resources and taking time with us. You're welcome, Jeff. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. You can connect with Troy on social media and on his website, troyllove.com. And if you give him your name and your email address, he'll send you a free ebook. You can also find his books on amazon.com. He's got two books, Finding Peace and his brand new book, A Year of Self-Love. And I encourage you to check those resources out, especially if you're dealing with any form of loss, neglect, abandonment, or any of the things we've been talking about today. Troy is a very seasoned and experienced clinician and has done a lot of great work to help so many people all over the world. So thank you once again, Troy, for taking time to visit with us and talk with us about these very important things. And once again, the Trust Building Bootcamp is available now for 30% off for all Illuminate podcast listeners. Just enter the code Illuminate at checkout. You can visit trustbuildingacademy.com and find the Trust Building Bootcamp, which is a course I created that's 12 weeks long to help guide people through the very difficult process of rebuilding trust in a romantic relationship. And this course is for the people that have broken the trust. It's to help them become trustworthy and create conditions where trust can be restored. This course is very thorough. I put a lot of time into it and I'm really excited to share it with you. So go check that out. And if you have questions about it, you can contact me on the website and I'd be very happy to answer any of your questions. And once again, thank you so much for your support of the Illuminate podcast. Make sure to go to iTunes and give us a rating and let people know about this wonderful information out there. Please share it and spread the word and let people know that there are answers and hope and support out there when you're dealing with all these difficult topics of addiction, betrayal, deep healing. The good news is, is that you're not alone and lots of people have gone through these things and there are answers. So once again, thank you for listening and for all of your support. And I look forward to being with you in the next episode of the Illuminate Podcast.